Good morning, Crosswalk. How are you doing? Good, good, good. All right, two things real quick. First, does Patty work for the CIA? That's way too much information about me that he knows. <laughs> like, what? He has never asked me half of his questions he kind of knew the answers to. Okay, got to keep an eye on that. And second, guys, it's graduation weekend, and I think we need to redo the clapping here, because some of you are clapping like we're at a funeral. <laughs> yes, congratulations, everyone graduating. It is a big deal. Do people even clap at funerals? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a time of transition. Some of you guys are like, excited about finishing finally, but watch out, because the real world is tough. <laughs> You're going to beg Jesus, take me back to school. Maybe I'm over PhD. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. I, uh, I, I remember you know, transitions just have this, this, this feeling of, of excitement, but also nervousness, right? And so this is a good place to be. This is the kind of place that stretches you into the kind of people that God wants us to be. So congratulations. You know, congratulations, you know, hard work and, and, and graduating. Let's do one more. Yes. Okay, so I will be reading from Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 to 8, uh, 13 to 15. We're continuing with the theme of the series of Christophany. Uh, and for anyone who's here for the first time, Christophany is basically uh, a word for when you have an experience with Christ. All right, when you get to meet Christ and have this divine experience. Okay, so we're continuing on that theme. Joshua 5, verse 1 to 8, 13 to 15. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can follow me on there, but otherwise it's going to be on the Sky Bibles behind me. Um, it is a long text, so bear with me, but I think it's important for us to kind of have a sense of what's happening as um, the background of the Christophany that we're dealing with today. But before we do that, pray with me. Lord, open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to seeing you, to hearing you, and to feel your love for us. Speak to us with your tender voice. And may we, one more time today, be put back together as a whole again. Amen. Now I'm reading from verse 1. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites, their hearts melted in fear and no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. You're proper scared if that's what you're doing. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives, rock knives, and circumcise the Israelites again. Ouch. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelite at Gibith Alalof, which in English means the hill of foreskins. Ouch. The Bible, I love it. I love it. Who are these people? <laughs> this is why Joshua conducted the circumcision. All the males who had left Egypt, the soldiers had died in the wilderness on the journey out to Egypt. 
All the people who had come out of Egypt, of course, had been circumcised, but all of those born in the wilderness along the way since leaving Egypt had not been. And so they get to taste. The fact is that the people of Israel had walked through the wilderness for 40 years until the entire nation died out. All the men of military age who had come out of Egypt but had disobeyed the call of God. God vowed that these would never lay eyes on the land that God promised their ancestors. The land of flowing milk and honey. But the children had replaced them. These are the ones Joshua circumcised. They had never been circumcised. No one had circumcised them along the way. I've never used the word circumcised so many times in my life. We're almost there, guys. We're almost there. When they had completed the circumcising of the whole nation, they stayed where they were in camp until they were healed. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? What he was really asking is, are you on our side or are you on their side? Neither, the men replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my master have for his servant? What message does my master have for his servant? And the commander of God's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is, is holy. And Joshua did so. As it happens, our text for today find the children of Israel at a similar place to our graduates, a place of transition. They were transitioning from the wilderness to a new life in Canaan, a life of abundance, milk, and honey. They had finally arrived to the promised land. The, the, God had been faithful to his word, and they were about to go in, but God says, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you proceed, we need to renew our vows. Before we move into this new season, let's review our commitments to each other. Let's reaffirm our vows. Like literally, that's what circumcision was, right? It's a vow of love and commitment. You guys are kind of glad we don't do that anymore, right? We moved to rings and contracts now, right? But that's what they were doing. And God says, hey, 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 let's, let's do this again. Because God wanted a renewal, a reaffirmation of a commitment he had made with those people. I remember the first time I heard about <laughs> uh, vows, like renewal of vows. You know, I knew people made vows when they got married, but I didn't know that they were, you could do that again. So like for a whole year, I, was, I must have been around 11, for a whole year I'm sitting at my desk and I can see on, the, on, on my teacher's table there's a picture of his wedding. But it bothered me. There he is in his suit, black suit, three-piece suit, and his wife next to him in his, in his, his long white robe, beautiful robe. But the thing that bothered me is like, his wife was old. Like old, old. Right? Do you know what I mean? Like when you're a kid, everyone's old. Your parents are old. Your teacher's old. But like she was like old. And so I'm just like, and it bothered me. Like it bothered me. What I mean is like it, he was, she was much older than he was. He was like in his 20s, and she was at least in her 50s. I'm just like, what is going on? But, you know, my mom raised me well. Hey, mom. 
My mom raised me well, so I didn't ask anything. I just, you know, sat at my desk doing my work. But occasionally I'm like, is she like super rich? Is that what it is? You know? Or sometimes I'm like, is that what love is? You could just end up with anyone? And I'm like, ooh, I don't know. Right? But I didn't say anything. Come the end of the year, end of the year, before the finals, I go to my teacher and say, hey, like I'm trying to do really well, like better than I've had before, and I'm going to need some extra help. Do you mind just help me out a little bit before the finals? He said, sure, you real. Come to my house on Sunday. Come Sunday afternoon, I go to his house, knock, knock. He walks me in, and he's like, go sit down at a table in the a, in a, in a, in a living room, and I'm sitting at a table, and in front of the wall is a blown-up picture from another angle of his wedding day. And I'm like, whoa, she's even older in this, like, bigger size. I'm like, what is going on? So now I can't focus on my studies. And I'm just like, ah, what do I do? And I'm like, you know, like, I want to I wanna find out. I'm curious. I want to find out. And so eventually I'm just like, mm, sir, are you, are you sure I'm not, like, disturbing your plans with your wife? Like, I don't want to intrude. Is your wife around? He's like, my wife? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you're old. That's not my wife. That's my mom. And I'm like... People marry their mom, they do that? I didn't say it, I thought it. I thought it, I was confused for a minute. But then it's like, no, this is, this is a picture of me and my mom because I walked her down the aisle the day that her and my dad had renewed their vows. Turns out his mom had been diagnosed with terminal, and a terminal illness, and the moment the dad heard it, the dad said, hey, we're gonna renew our vows. And so at the age of like 60-something, they walked down the aisle. He walked his mom down the aisle. They renewed their vows. Because for the father, it was important for his wife, for him to, for his wife to know that now, more than ever, I do. I still do. It's a beautiful thing, the renewal of vows. It's beautiful. It paints a picture of two people so madly in love that they want to say, I do, again. It's beautiful. It's important sometimes to do that, isn't it? And sometimes it's even vital. Sometimes you really need to renew your vows. Do you remember your vows, your wedding vows, those of you are married? Caitlin and I have been married for about six years. I know this because Patty asked me, hey, how long have you been married? I was like five, and my wife was like, no. Both my wife and my mom actually were like, six from the other room. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, six years we've been married now. And we had the shortest vows ever, like five sentences. And I remember spending time memorizing the lines, had this little piece of paper with me. We loved our vows. The cheesy people that we, we are, we even printed our vows on T-shirts and wore them and took pictures in L.A. Who are we? We were moved by the words. We believed in them. We lived within those five sentences. Recently, I was rummaging for the garage, and I found one of those t-shirts. It's kind of old, coffee-stained, and I saw it, I turned it around, and I read the vows again, and I was like, wow, we had great vows. It's beautiful, but at the same time, I was like, wow, I hope that I'm living up to those vows. Because it is possible to lose sight of the vows we make, isn't it? Even when they're just five sentences long. Are you with me? It is possible as we journey through life to lose sight of things that were once important to us. Because we all make vows, right? 
We make marriage vows, but we also make vows to our community. We make vows to our church. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to give my energy. I'm going to give my resources to the service of God at my church. We make vows in our workplaces, the people we work with. Hey, hey, we're in this together. No matter what happens, whatever happens to the economy, we're going to ride it out. They're not always official vows. They're not always public vows, but we make them. They are seen in the things we say, the words we used, what we affirm, and what we reject. Our values, our commitments, our priorities, our perspectives, whether we call them vows or not, they dictate the way we live our lives. They dictate where we spend our money, how we spend our time, the small and the big decisions of our lives. They shape our identities. In a real way, our vows can sometimes be the clearest indication of our perspective. They show how we view the world. Are you with me? And God says, hey, it's time to renew our vows. Because not all vows last forever. Some get forgotten, some get lost along the way, and believe it or not, some just no longer work. And so you need to renew your vows. This is what happened to Israel. Somehow, along that trek in the wilderness, they lost sight of their commitment. They lost sight of their vows. And we get it, right? We get it because, well, the desert can be a tough place. There you are just walking days after days after days, unsure about where you're going, unsure about the leaders that are taking you along, Unsure where you're going to end up. The trauma of your past following you. The past of your four parents. The past of those who came before you. Their trauma are now on your shoulders. You see the stories you were told. The promises that were made to you clashing with the reality of your now experience. The desert can be a very tough place. You're fighting for your survival. Maybe you have children. You have hopes for them. You have dreams for them. Dreams that you're unsure that whether they're ever going to happen or not. And you're told to just keep going, keep going. We get it. It is easy to see how our circumstances can cause a change of our perspective. And I want to be clear that this works in both directions, right? Our negative experiences as well as our positive experiences. It is easy to, look tra to lose track of what is important to us. We get that. And so God says, hey, 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 before you proceed, let's renew our vows. Because sometimes, sometimes, the life of faith requires us to go back and reclaim that which we once had. Values, practices, loyalties, perspectives. The true person of faith wrestles with what it means to be a person of God today. They look back, they rethink, they reinterpret, they reappropriate the past. The life of faith sometimes requires a reclamation of that once was there. Are you with me? Somebody but say.
But sometimes, it's not enough just to renew our vows. Perspective needs to be updated, vows need to be reviewed, amended, and rewritten. Because the nature of vows is that they come from the demands of a particular experience. They come out of the desires of a particular moment in time. You fall in love. You cannot imagine a life without this person, and so you make a vow there and then. Our vows are based on the needs and hopes of a particular moment in our lives. One of my friends is actually here today. One said to me, Yuru, when we get hurt, we make vows. Have you ever heard of that? When we get hurt, we make vows. I will never let anyone make me feel like this again. I will never trust or depend on any other person again. From now on, it's just me. I'm not trusting anyone in the world. When we get hurt, we made vows. Our vows come out of our perspectives, and our perspectives come out of our lived experiences. In other words, our vows are driven by how we view the world, and how we view the world moves and changes. It is driven by our experiences. And sometimes our experiences offer us an opportunity to change perspective. And even sometimes we are forced to take on a new perspective. It happens. Facing something so radical, coming across something that challenges your perspective and forces you to go back to the drawing board and revisit the way you look at the world. It happened to Joshua. The text says that Joshua has a radical experience which forces him to change the way he looks at the world. He sees a man. He recognizes that that man is important. But the first thing he does is ask a question. Because for Joshua, the world is made up of friends and enemies. You know, and when you've been in the desert for a hot minute, you're kind of edgy. You see someone, you're like, whoa. Is that like the ops? Are you friend? Are you foe? Are you this? Are you that? Classic dualism, right? My wife, Caitlin, tells this story um, a lot, actually. One of her favorite stories to tell is going camping. And in the morning, one of her friends made, was cooking oats, right? Old porridge. And another friend come out of the tent and sees him making old porridge and says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? That's not how you make old porridge. You're supposed to put the milk first and then boil it. And I'm just like, dude, it's old porridge. There are literally hundreds of ways to make this. But you get it, right? Dualistic thinking. It's either this way or that way. You're either doing it right or you're doing it wrong. Are you friend or are you enemy? We do this. We split the world into sides, two sides, and we put something on this side and something on that side, or you're either from this side or you're in that side. Classic dual thinking. And because of his experience in bondage, oppression, and violence, Joshua develops a view of the world that separates people into those who are on his side and those who are not. But the man answers him and says, well, 
I'm neither. Because turns out that man is God. And for God, that's not how things work. God says, well, maybe this kind of thinking may have helped you on your way, but here, in the future that I am building for you and for this world, you will require a different way of thinking, a different way of being. You need a new perspective. And so Joshua needs to learn a valuable lesson. He needs to embrace a simple but difficult truth, one that is perhaps central to mature faith, one that many before us and many after us will wrestle with, that God cannot and will not be bound to our personal projects. God will not be used. You see, it is possible to be tempted to have God do what we want or to use God as an excuse to rationalize our loves, our desires, our words, and our actions. To use God as a weapon. It is the oldest story in the book. It's the biggest temptation to say, hey, God, get him to hide behind a free little word so that we can get our own way in life. And God says, no, I will not be used. Are you a friend or an enemy? And a man says, neither. And Joshua has this aha moment, a new perspective. He falls to his knees and recommits. Maybe it's an old vow. Maybe it's a new vow. We don't know, but we know that he makes another vow. He recommits to the journey. Because to meet Christ, to stand in the presence of the divine, to have a Christophany is to be asked to change. And you can either fall down to your knees and take on a different perspective, or you can resist. Scholars believe that Joshua must have been around 70 years old when he had this aha moment, when he meets Christ and has his perspective changed. Can you imagine 70 and you're still growing? You're still learning? You're still wrestling with what it means to be a follower of Christ? What it means to love well? At 80? At 90? Or even right now? In a real way, faith is more than an assertion of beliefs. Faith is more than a commitment to a set of practices. We know this. Faith is marked by intentional and gradual changes that lead us towards the heart of God. That is what faith is. Sometimes it's embracing something new, 
Sometimes it's reclaiming something that we left behind. And sometimes it's finding the courage to reject perspectives that are no longer useful to us. Perspectives that go against where God is going. That is the type of faith, the type of growth that God calls us to. Because to have a true Christ experience, to have a true Christian experience is to be moving along and changing, adopting new ways of seeing life, adopting new languages, adopting new practices. It's not so much a destination as much as it is a posture to be open to the possibility that there is more than what we now have. To be open to the possibility that maybe we're wrong sometimes. To be open to the possibility that maybe they're right sometimes. To be open to the direction of God in our life. And so I'm going to give you about 30 seconds, all of us, maybe... It's time for some of us to rethink old perspective. Maybe it's time for us to go back to the drawing board and rethink things. Maybe it's time to reject. Or maybe right now is the time to say, thank you, God, that you continue to move in my life, that you continue to grow me, into your likeness. Maybe today is a celebration of a milestone that we've arrived somewhere and we're excited because we know God is with us until we move to the next place and the next place. Just take some time. Be grateful that you're here today. Be grateful that God is still with you and that you're still with God. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. Let me pray with you. May you, the servant in whom God delights, in whom God has entrusted the mysteries of his kingdom, may you grow well. May you grow and grow and grow. May you find courage Courage to say, it's time to let go. Courage to say, it's time to reclaim. Courage to say, I was wrong. Courage to say, you were right. Courage to say, who knows? But for now, love is enough. Courage to be open to the movements of God. And may you love well today and every day for the rest of your life. Amen.